0: I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. I'll be reading Exodus 13, verses 17 through 22. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. Let's pray together. Father, we've just asked you by singing that you would illumine us. We ask you again now that you would do that, that we would have hearts ready to receive. Lord, we know that knowledge puffs up. I pray that you would keep that far from us, but you would fill us with a love for you as we understand better or are refreshed in truths that we have already known. I pray that you would strengthen us in our resolve to follow you wherever you would lead us, to be content with where you lead us, to trust in your sovereign plan for our lives. Lord, use this time in each of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would suppose that for each of you, it would be your desire that God is the one who leads your life. I would hope that would be the case for you, that you desire God to be the one who's directing your steps, leading your path, guiding you on the way. You may have felt at times, different periods of your life, where you desire that more than others. Maybe times of confusion or of need, you have a a deeper sense of the the desperate need for God to direct you in your way. At times we wish that God could just suddenly appear and tell us which way to go, what decision to make, how to proceed. We almost wish that we could have a pillar of cloud and fire to follow. It might make things a little bit easier. We encounter seasons of our life where we wish we could have the Lord present with us just to show us which way to go. We have conundrums or unpleasant things that come up in our life, and we not only wish that he would lead us, but we wish that he would lead us out of those things. We know exactly where we want him to take us. Sometimes, when we have our wits about us, as we're going through different problems of life and wondering what is going on, we think, wait a second, God is guiding me. He promised to be with me. He is always with me. I'm in this haze and in this fog of season of life, not because God hasn't been leading me, but because He is leading me. Why on earth did He do this? How did He bring me here? So we're compelled then to ask some questions, and some of them may be somewhat difficult to ask ourselves. But are you prepared? to accept the answer that he may have led you where you are because you are not strong enough for any other path? Are you prepared to consider that he's led you on the path that you are on because it is better for you here than on any other path? Are you also prepared to accept that the Lord has been leading you Ultimately, to fulfill his promises to you, even if it feels like you're getting further away from them. Are you prepared, as the Lord leads your life, to say to him unequivocally, I will follow you? Or have you crossed off some spots on the map that you will never go? Have you said that I'm not going to the country of poverty? Have you said, I will never get on a plane to the nation of suffering? Have you said that I will stay away from the city of hunger and want and need? I'll never go to the house of rejection or to the river of sorrow. You've just crossed those off on the map. You've never booked a ticket there, but sometimes you actually find yourself planted in that very spot. It's as if you've been picked up from the globe and the globe is spun under your feet, and then you're set down on a place that you never planned on going, and you never bought a ticket to get there. It came to you, almost. This section of Exodus is almost an introduction to what is going to happen to Israel for the next 40 years. They are being led out of Egypt and into the wilderness, And during this time, it is being made plain to us that as they go on their journeyings, it is the Lord who leads them. That's the emphasis of these few verses. The text is uh, almost sandwiched by these ideas of leading. Verse 17 of Exodus chapter 13, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines clearly implying that's not the way he led them, but he did have another way that he was leading them. In verse 21, it says, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And so this passage is bookended by the fact that God is leading Israel. The very end of the book tells us that this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire has not departed from Israel, it's still there. And Israel only gets up and goes when it goes, and it stays when it stays. As the history of Israel advances, the pillar of cloud and fire disappears as far as a mechanism that leads them where they should go. But it's understood that they still need to be led by God, not now to the promised land, but just in the daily path of life. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm seventy three twenty-four, You guide me, or the very same word that's being used here, literally, you lead me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Just because the pillar of cloud and fire has gone away does not mean that the leading of the Lord has gone away. This time it is now happening in paths of righteousness. And so this passage helps prepare Israel for how to get out of Egypt and into the promised land, but it also prepares them for the whole of their life as a nation that they need to be led by the Lord, and it also prepares us to ask certain questions about how the Lord leads, because we know that we are just waffling and wandering if we don't have the Lord guiding us and directing us and leading us. We need His leadership in our life. We need him to direct us. So as we work our way through this passage, we'll ask some basic questions about the Lord's leading. I think this text answers for us. That helps us to consider how he leads in our lives. And I hope that you would leave encouraged that our God is a God who does lead us and he leads us wisely, and he leads us well. And I hope you leave resolved to be willing to follow him wherever he leads you. So The first question that we'll ask is, who is the one who leads? You have to forgive me because I taught kids Sunday school for a very long time, so questions like these just kind of are the first ones i inclined to ask. You know the answer. It's the Lord, of course. He's the one who leads. But we really need to settle that matter at the start because Israel, as they are set free from bondage and Egypt, is not just set free now to say, okay, kids, just do whatever you want. I got you out of it, and now you can take the keys and just go wherever you want to go. That has not been God's intention at all. He intends to lead them out and to the promised land. All along, it's been the Lord leading Israel. It's that way from the start. Recall the sending of Joseph Before the brothers of Israel, Joseph was uh, the youngest of those, not the youngest, but one of the young brothers, and he was scorned by his older brothers because he was favored by his father, and you recall the story that he was sold into slavery by them and went into Egypt, and there he was put in prison and in a dungeon and ultimately elevated up in the ranks of Egypt and oversaw Egypt during the time of famine. Because Joseph was there, the brothers of Israel, were able to come because Joseph had prepared to provide for the whole world during that time of famine. And we know, because the text of Genesis is very clear, that God was the one who sent Joseph to Egypt. And his being there preserved the life of Israel, not only to preserve their life, but it also made a place for them to live, and that's what kicked off their sojournings in the land of Egypt. Egypt. It was always the Lord directing. He was the one who sent Joseph before them in order to make a spot for them to live during that famine and ultimately to be there in Egypt for hundreds of years. It was really the Lord's plan and the Lord's leading. Now as the exodus has finally happened and Pharaoh has let the people go, God is still leading them. But they are not free to go whatever direction they want. This whole scene is a bit preposterous, actually, because you've been told in Exodus 12 that there are 600,000 Israelite men that have been suddenly set free from their captivity, plus women and children, plus the mixed multitude that goes up. So you've got on the order of two million people that have suddenly been released from the land of Egypt, and now they're set to go somewhere. You've got these refugees that are doing this mass migration, and they really have no functional homeland. The only thing that this people of Israel possesses to their name is a small plot of land that is the burial place for their ancestors. And that's all they have. And they've been set free from the oppressing nation Egypt, promised a land to go to, but not really possessing any of that land beyond a cave. That won't fit two million people, by the way. And so you have all of these millions of people now released. How is this going to work? Well, it will not work unless the Lord is in charge, and that's exactly what he intends to do. It's clear that he's the one that's leading them. In verse 18, it says, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. It's actually probably a bad translation of that. They weren't equipped for battle, they weren't ready to battle. That's made clear by why God doesn't lead them the way he does. It more means that they're let out in an orderly fashion. It's the same word to organize ranks of armies. It's probably what's meant here, the orderly fashion in which they are let out. God is leading them. And while they don't have anything more than a burial plot to their name, they have a promise from the God who is leading them. And the promise is to bring them to the land flowing with milk and honey. They are only two weeks away from that land by foot. It's the shortest route, and it's how they could get there. But the Lord is the one leading them. We have to start with this question of who is the one doing the leading because. Um, We are a people by nature bent towards autonomy, bent towards independence, and we don't like to take orders. How many times have you heard somebody say, I don't do well with authority? Well, show me somebody who does. We all have that problem of submission to the powers that be. And in this case, Israel has to understand that it is the Lord that is leading them by the way. And if He doesn't, they really have no hope because they would just be this random mass of two million people. It's not as though we have a better chance if we go it on our own. We need the Lord to lead us. We need Him to direct our steps. So the Lord is the one directing He's the one who directs all of our days. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The same Psalm 139, verses 9 through 10 says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Same word. And your right hand shall hold me. We need the Lord to direct us, and He does. I hope that you have been able to look back over your life and know with certainty that the Lord is the one who has been directing your steps, that He's the one that is in charge and the one who is leading. I mean, Very simply put, we don't even direct or lead the family to which we are born into. That is from the Lord. He's the one who sets up such a huge and fundamental part of our whole life. He's the one leading us. Sometimes I pause and think with a bit of wonder about how the Lord has led me to this place. I mean, quite literally, to be standing here right in this moment when I think back to the kid who... Uh, got up and ran out of the class when I had to do a presentation. And you probably have similar notes in your life where you think, how the Lord has led me to this place. How on earth did I even get here except by the grace of God leading me every step of the way? Were you the one who arranged for the gospel to be preached to you? Were you the one to arrange the circumstances in your life where you were ripe to believe it? Or is that your sovereign God who is leading you every step of the way to bring you to that point? The Lord directing all along, the one who knows all the days of our book before they are written, is the one who leads us. And if he's leading now, I need to follow him. So who's the one who leads? Well... Of course it's the Lord. Second question is where does the Lord lead his people? Where does the Lord lead his people? And the answer to that question is to exactly the place that they need to be. That's where he leads them. We find that the Lord who has immense wisdom and sovereignty works his wisdom and sovereignty to guide us to be in the exact place that we need to be. There's a vast difference between the place that you need to be and the place that you want to be. You want to be at home sipping a nice iced tea on a warm summer day. You need to be in the hospital getting that surgery or otherwise you're going to lose your life. And you can understand those situations, the difference between where you want to be versus where you need to be. The question is, are you willing to accept that? And the question isn't just, are you willing to accept that? But the question is, are you willing to accept that when the scenario isn't quite so logical as having a life-saving procedure done on you? Because there are times where you get into a situation where you think, I don't need surgery. I don't need to be on this table right now. There's nothing wrong with me. But you find yourself in a predicament or a situation that you think is unnecessary, almost illogical. Are you willing even then to accept from the sovereign wise hand of God that's exactly where you need to be? Note that the place where the Lord leads the Israelites is not a logical road. It says in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. It seems like almost an unnecessary statement from the author of Exodus. He could have just told them where he did lead them, but instead he inserts this sentence to let us know where God does not lead them. And the reason for that has to do a little bit with geography. Where Israel was in Egypt required them for about a two-week jaunt to head north in order to get to the promised land. And in two weeks, they could be there. Instead, God is leading them south, not north. As Israel heads out of Egypt and they stop at their local convenience store asking for directions to the promised land, they would say, oh, you just go north. But if they check the compass, God is leading them South. So what's with this decision that seems to be so contrary to the way that it needs to be? Clearly God is directing them in the way that he needs to lead them to be exactly in the spot that they need to be. It says again that God leads them around by the way of the wilderness. In verse 18, toward the Red Sea away from the promised land, not towards it. It seems like the text really wants us to recognize this discrepancy. And for the Israelites, and really for us as we're reading this, the question would be, will you trust the God who is leading you, that he leads you to exactly where you need to be? Don't we often think, wouldn't it be better if we go this way, God? If you're the one who's driving the car, you know which direction you think you should go. Sometimes the way the Lord leads, it just seems totally illogical. A few years ago, there was a, a budding Christian apologist who uh, had written a couple of books and spoken in a number of venues and was making quite a mark and influence in proclaiming the gospel seemed like he had this vibrant career in front of him. Not a career, but ministry for the sake of advancing the kingdom of God and making the gospel known. And then suddenly it seemed like he just was gone. He died. And I recall a conversation I had with someone at that point. It was not an irreverent conversation. It was done with the acknowledgement of the Lord's wisdom. But the question was asked, God doesn't seem to do himself any favors, does he? Wouldn't it have been better to preserve this man's life who had all of this ahead of him, who had such a vibrant ministry going? Wouldn't it have been better just to keep him around? He was a sharp tool in the tool belt of the Lord. Would have made a a huge dent in the unbelief in our world and just seems like God's kind of shooting himself in the foot doing this from our perspective. Seems like it would have been faster, more direct to bring his people directly to the promised land, going north. He had all of the power, didn't he? He just darkened the sun, he brought the locusts, he turned the Nile to blood. Doesn't he have the power to do whatever he wants? Can't he go that way? We often think, couldn't God just fill in the blank? Well, yeah, he could. Of course he has the power. God's not about simply showing gratuitous power. Jesus never flexed his miraculous muscles just to show that he could do it. He always had a purpose. And in this case, there is a purpose in God leading the Israelites to exactly where they need to be, even if it seems like it's not where they should be. Which leads us to our next question is, Why does the Lord lead his people where he leads them? Why does the Lord lead his people where he leads them? The answer is, for their own good. Have you ever had somebody do something for your own good? Not usually too appreciative of that. It's like, okay, what what do you have against me? But in this case, it's true. The Lord is doing this for Israel's own good. Out of love, sometimes we have to do the hard things for people in order to protect them from themselves. The explanation for why God does this and leads them in the way is really phenomenal. It seems in verse 17 that God takes counsel with himself. It says, For God said, the reason for why he's going to lead them not by the way of the Philistines is lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God makes this decision about which way they should go, not in overriding the heart of the people, but in congruence with it, knowing that the heart of the people, if they see War immediately and within the land of Egypt will turn back to their homes. They would see war and think, it's better for us just to go back into slavery. And so in order for God to really get them out of Egypt in such a way that they cannot go back, he has to lead them on a path that prohibits them from going back. He puts them in a situation where they cannot go back. If they go north... They will likely encounter garrisons of Egyptians in front of them. And they'll have to take up arms and battle them. And so, at the sight of the Egyptians, they'll just turn back. But you remember the way the Lord is going to lead them. He's going to lead them south, the way of the wilderness, to come up against the Red Sea that they cannot cross, and have the armies of Egypt come behind them that they cannot fight. And God is going to lead them singularly through the Red Sea. In in doing so, destroy the Egyptian army and also prohibit the Israelites from ever going back to Egypt. And so God leads them on a harder path, in a sense, in order to keep the people whose hearts he knows will want to go back to Egypt from getting back to Egypt. And so he does this for their own good. He knows their inner frailty. He knows how weak they are. He knows he's not re- they're not ready to go see an army in front of them. Otherwise, they're just going to turn back. They need to be put in a spot that they cannot get out of. He does it for their own good. We know that it's in their hearts to go back to Egypt because as soon as they get into the wilderness, they will say to Moses, did you just lead us out here to die? It was better for us in Egypt. But God has so confined them that they cannot go back. They're stuck with the Lord leading them to the promised land through a circuitous route. God protects them from themselves. Have you ever looked back on your life and been convinced that the Lord has really kept you in ways that you never would have chosen. He's kept you from harm that you otherwise could have afflicted on you or on others. Sometimes wonder, why didn't God keep me? The question we have to be willing to ask is, are you willing to trust that God's sovereign plan will not be ultimately thwarted for you if you are in Christ. He will work all things together for good. So Israel has to go into the wilderness. It's not going to be an easy path for them. The wilderness is not necessarily the way that they want to go. It will not be pleasant to live in a land that is Barren for forty years. Part of that's their fault. Most of that's their fault. But God's the one who kicks this journey off. The Lord promises us in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Lord is always watching out for us, but not necessarily in ways that we would find pleasant. Israel is going to have to have their life in the desert, a place where it's going to be barren, devoid of water, devoid of food. They will have to rely totally and completely on the Lord And yet it's exactly where they need to be and it's for their good. If it were any other way, they would turn back. Are you willing to accept the constant, wise, shepherding care of the Lord who knows your heart, who will lead you exactly where you need to be for your own good? Well, What is what is God's intention in leading His people? We say it's for their own good, but they're going to be miserable for a long time. What's His intention in leading His people? It is to fulfill His promises. Although the route is going to be circuitous, something that is. Could have taken two weeks, is going to take 40 years. The destination is certain. That hasn't changed. It's kind of a postmodern mantra. I don't know if you've heard it. It goes like this The journey is the destination. Have you heard that? The journey is the destination. As if it doesn't really matter where you're going, it's just kind of going on the journey that matters. And when you hear the phrase, the journey is the destination, you should want to scream, no, it's not. The destination's the destination, and the journey is to get to the destination. Ask Israel, or try to throw this one to Israel. The journey is the destination. The wilderness is the destination. See how they like that? No, no, definitely not. The destination is and has always been the promised land, the fulfillment of God's promises. That's where they are going. The wilderness is not the end. If the wilderness is the end, that's it. Baal's ship, same for us. The wilderness is not the end. The promised land is. So inserted into this text is kind of this strange interlude for us in verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph Joseph with him. Seems like a strange thing to pack on sudden departure from Egypt. But he's bringing the bones of Joseph, and the reason is because Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. When Joseph was dying, he made his brothers swear that they would take his bones out of Egypt. And this is found in Genesis 50, verses 24 to 26. He died at 110 years old. He was embalmed, and in there he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph's an amazing character of the Bible. Uh, he endured so much at the hands of his brothers and in the hands of a lying wife of Potiphar. He was a man who knew what it meant to wait. He waited a really long time for things to start going right again. Even when he died, he seemed to still be a man who was waiting. His father died in Egypt And they immediately brought him back after embalming him and buried him back in the promised land. But when Joseph died, his bones stayed in Egypt because Joseph died with the promise on his mind that God is going to visit the people, lead them out of Egypt, and bring them to the promised land. And so the man who spent his whole life waiting dies still waiting. And Israel is going to now carry the bones of Joseph out of Egypt and wander with the bones of Joseph in the wilderness for 40 years and through the conquest of Canaan until you come to the end of Joshua 24, after those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they finally bury the bones of Joseph in the promised land. And so they'll have with them this visible demonstration That waiting is not just for waiting's sake. Waiting is to get to the destination. The journey is not the destination. It's preparatory for it, for the end, which is the promised land for Israel. We cannot be content with thinking That the sufferings or the problems or the difficulties that come into our lives is it. Those are preparatory for glory. It is God wielding his sovereign and wise plan to make us ready for heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul goes on in Philippians 3 verse 20. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will transform our lowly body be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The Lord's intention in leading us is to bring us to glory. It's not just to lead us through a miserable life and end there. It's all preparatory, and He uses these things to prepare us for the greater glory to come. So the Lord is the one who leads us. The Lord always leads us to exactly where we need to be. The Lord leads us because it's good for us, and He also leads us with the intention of fulfilling His promises. The last question is, how does the Lord lead His people? How does the Lord lead His people? The answer is, with His presence. With His presence. Verse 20 says they moved on from Succoth and and encamped at Etham. Not sure exactly where Etham is, but they're heading south towards the edge of the wilderness. Verse 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So they have this pillar of cloud at the day and pillar of fire at the night. It's leading them, but notice that key phrase, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, in a pillar of fire. He was there. It was his presence that was leading them, shrouded by the cloud, untouchable with the fire, but his presence, nonetheless, he was leading them. He was directing his people in this way by being present with them. And for two million people who needed to know the way, they were guided by the presence of the Lord. Psalm 105, 39 says, He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light by night. This was, this was a merciful presence of the Lord. As they head into the intolerable wilderness, that has excruciatingly hot days and cold nights, the Lord would be there with a cloud of covering by day and with fire at night to give light. And the Lord was in them. And this goes on and on and on so that the book of Exodus ends in chapter 40, verse 36, saying throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out This kept on throughout all their journeys. The Lord was continually present with them. Now, you probably have not seen a pillar of cloud or fire leading you. Not probably, but definitely, you have not seen (laughs) a pillar of cloud or fire leading you. And yet, we have still the leading of God in our lives. Psalm 23, you know this, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even Israel, after the cloud, of, the cloud and the fire departed from them, and they weren't led to the promised land anymore because they were there. Still needed the leading of the Lord, but now it's leading in paths of righteousness. And the psalmist says, he leads me. And in five, Psalm 5.8, 5, the prayer is, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. And Psalm Psalm 119.105 famously says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path not as though the Lord has abandoned his role of leading, but his leading is now taking place and directing his people towards righteousness. And the place that we need light for our path now is found in his word. We look here for the leading of the Lord, but more than that, it's not an impersonal leading, it's very personal. God was with the Israelites, but he was shrouded by the cloud and untouchable in the fire. And yet when his son Jesus comes, he has that wonderful name of Emmanuel, God with us. And shows us that his leading is not impersonal. It is, it is as personal as it gets. He is leading. Jesus, who claimed to be the light of the world, issued two words to his disciples. Follow me. And so we have in our Lord Jesus Christ the very personal presence of God leading us as we listen to Him and let His words abide in us. But not only that, we have this wonderful promise as well. John 14, verse 16 and 17. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's not that we have a pillar of cloud and fire that's out in front of us that's obscure and untouchable. We have now the very Spirit of God for those who have trusted in Christ dwelling in us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who calls us to follow him. We have the Spirit dwelling in us. We have the Word of God, which is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. So is the Lord who leads us. He's the one who leads us exactly where we need to be for our own good. And He leads us with the intention of fulfilling His promises, uh, promises to us, and He leads us with His presence. It would seem presumptuous of us to think that now we can just kind of passively live our lives and just say, okay, God, I know you're just going to lead me wherever I go. You're just kind of carry me. It'd be presumptuous because the God who leads has given us his son who says, follow me. If you want to experience the goodness of God's sovereign preservation of you, in leading you to the promises, don't miss the fact that Jesus Christ calls you to follow him. And that is not a passive endeavor. That is living your life in light of the teaching of Jesus Christ, letting that be your governing document over all of your life. He leads us, but he also beckons us to follow. Let's pray. Father, we have experienced the blessing of you leading us. We can't take credit for where we are in our life. It's been your kind and gracious hand. It doesn't always seem that way to us, Lord, but we know enough of your word to acknowledge that you don't forsake your people. You never leave us. Lord, help us to be more confident and content with what you bring into our path, knowing how you are sovereign and good. You don't abandon us, even if your ways are mysterious to us or opposite of the direction we think we should be going. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, would you equip us by your spirit to now follow you wherever you would lead us to be faithful unto you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.